Welcome to Inside the Economy with SHNJ. Presented by Larry Howes of Sharky, Howes, and Jaber. Learn more about Sharky, Howes, and Jaber at shwj.com. Thank you for listening. Um, quick look at the numbers. New inflation CPI came out, and good news for some people, we're kind of creeping towards the 2% target rate that the Fed has in mind very, very slowly. Most of that was driven by the 3.5% increase in uh, energy in October. Not much else. Uh, unemployment is still low. Crude oil is staying above 50 despite some forces trying to pull it down. And uh, the dollar and the euro are creeping towards parity. More on that later. Just as a primer, though everybody should remember that the Fed increased rates another 25 basis points, so we're technically at half a percentage point on the Fed level. Uh, Just as a primer for those who are out looking for mortgage, here's some of the math. It's not arithmetic, it's actual math. So if there's a half percent increase in mortgage rates, and we're kind of there, we're in the low fours, and a four percent increase in the price of a single-family home, and I really have only found that in Denver and Seattle, uh, that pushes the PITI about 10%. So a $1,000 PITI might be 1100 in that environment. What percentage of people that pushes out of the market, I don't know. But uh, if the Fed does raise rates a few more times in 2017, we'll get to that, that might push a PITI up a couple hundred bucks. Uh, There's more likely a correction in the prices than just a continual increase in the cost. There Again, there's no inflation to push that. And another reason for that is despite 4.6% unemployment, that U4 unemployment number, uh, among other things, of the underemployment in the labor market, there's an amazing number of millennials who are entering the workforce with a similar number of boomers leaving the workforce. I know that's magic, but when the boomer leaves the workforce, they have much higher average wages that come out of the system. When a millennial goes in, well, you can get them cheap. So it'll take years for that average wage number to catch up. So much for a uh, wage push. Uh, we'll come back to the dollar here in a minute. Here is some of the, the National Association of Realtors really loves to put out numbers like this, but they're thinking, they're forecasting where a PITI is going to go over 17 and 18. We'll see. This is the assumption that there are three rate increases. Uh, I don't think that's very likely, but realtors are forever optimistic. The uh, pressure behind this stuff, uh, there is affordability. Uh, We've talked about this before. Share of households in financial distress is way down and continuing to creep lower. Delinquencies are lower. Even across all of the credit risks, delinquencies are lower. This is good for affordability, but it also points out the marketplace. We're probably have returned to the natural home ownership level, which is about 63, 64% of the population. 
the only liability that is really kind of interesting is slowly off the scale is, of course, student loans continues to creep up, even though we're now in the fifth year of declining college enrollment. A lot of that is people older than the standard college age, but college enrollment is definitely moving down. Right now, I think there's some people that are anticipating forgiveness of student loans, but we'll talk to the next administration about that one. Uh, Housing starts. There is a lot of forecasts about where housing starts are going. Frankly, the multifamily starts, all the apartment buildings around, are just keeping up with demand. That's for apartments. There is an interesting projection for that. Single-family starts popped up a little bit in October. They have since declined. Where that marketplace is going is difficult, and actually it's an impact on the economy is, is almost not significant anymore. Here is really, you know, I hate to use the term here, the silent generation, but here's really kind of a spread on where the millennials and the boomers are going. This is out to 2050, but... The next 10 or 15 years, let's say 2028, there is an amazing similarity between the millennials entering the workforce and the boomers leaving the workforce. This is a huge, has a huge impact on wage pressure and the very face of what employment is going to look like in the U.S. Uh, The silent generation is uh, your grandparents. I don't know who came up with that. I think that's a weird moniker. The dollar is getting significantly stronger in, in for many ways. Uh, here's how it's going against the euro. It's probably not our biggest trading partner, but certainly gets the most press. We're at 104 today. That's probably heading down to one. Uh, some of this is in part that uh, the European Central Bank announced that their quantitative easing program, which is currently 80 billion euros a month, they're going to lower that to 60 billion euros. Uh, uh, I think by uh, April next year isn't exactly the boost in confidence about the productivity and the growth in eurozone that everybody hoped. They have a long way to go. And two more referendums, the French and the Austrians, about, in some respects, the future of the euro. The dollar getting stronger is certainly going to hurt multinational companies, which everything in the S&P 500, not everything, but almost everything in the S&P 500 has some degree of monthly national business. It will hurt their earnings a little bit, but uh, it's more a question of whether the globe outside of the U.S. starts to recover. We'll see. Uh, Every time the dollar gets stronger, the biggest market that gets hurt the most is, of course, China. They had an incredible bond bump last week. I'd be surprised that it isn't continuing on its way down this morning. It wasn't, but anyway. The uh, the other side here, as we start to, and we'll talk about where the new federal budget will be, I will remind everyone that uh, there's very little margin for debate in the federal budget. There can be discussions about some tax breaks, maybe the ACA, maybe a few other things. But here's a reminder, uh, interest, Medicare, Medicaid, is basically the bulk of the budget. The defense and other discretionary parts of the federal budget have been in decline and will probably continue to be in decline. Uh, 
some of the Medicaid and the supplemental exchange subsidies, that's up for debate. Whether that gets taken out of the budget and replaced with something else will yet to be seen. But uh, the rest of these numbers are pretty hardwired. As a reminder, uh, in the United States, people over 55, the only or the significant part of their income, 50% of them is from Social Security. Oh, why will defense continue to decline? That's part of the rest of the discretionary part of the federal budget. It's not just defense. Defense is only about, I think it's like 4.5%. The rest of the discretionary, well, some of that are uh, departments, like education, I know that may be on the chopping block, uh, foreign aid, other subsidies. Everything else is pretty much written into law, Social Security, Medicare, ACA, and the interest on the debt. Uh, it's hard to say where the Republican Congress will want to go with discretionary spending, but there's not that much latitude. It's kind of in the bag. Again, this is sort of a primer on when the discussion comes around to uh, uh, whether you get tax cuts or not, but again, there's not that much not much, that much room. Uh, this is the rest of the world holding treasuries. Uh, you'd think they would have other motivations to hang on to the treasuries, but most of these economies, and the biggest one up there is China, they need to sell their treasury to support the yuan. In fact, this has changed so much that Japan is now the the largest holder of U.S. treasuries, and they're all declining. They need to sell these assets to support their currencies and to feed their economies. Belgium uh, is a holder of a lot of multinational companies and insurance companies. Uh, Russia, trying to maintain because they get so many dollars due to the oil business, so on and so forth. They're all declining. They have other problems. As the uh, the amount of treasuries in the market or held by other people declines. Those are haven't been reissued. They are slowly declining in the marketplace. And how that's going to be impacted by how much stronger the dollar gets, we'll see. Right now we're basically at half a percentage point, and it's reasonable that the Fed assumes it would be comfortable and prudent to be at one. So there may be room for another half a percent or 50 basis points in 2017 and 18. Uh, today, there's no inflation or numbers to support that. So uh, where we are, well, the bond market is anticipating one, look at the 10 years, anticipating one increase in 2017. Uh, the mortgage market is fighting tooth and nail to stay where it is, is that is one increase considered a quarter point. Actually, the Fed can can pick any increase, any number they want. They've always, not always, almost always historically done a quarter percent, 25 basis points. It seems the norm. And any time they do anything out of the norm, uh, well, panic doesn't ensue, but a lot of conversation ensues. And somebody has to go to Congress and explain why it hasn't been the norm. So it's reasonable to assume if they raise twice in 2017 or once, whatever the time frame is, it'll be a quarter of a point each time. The important thing is they like to get to one. And they like inflation to get to two. 
Uh, actually, the chances of either one of those happening today is 50-50 at best. So there we are.